Well, we spoke last Sunday about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember, we talked about those qualities and characteristics of, of those who are blessed people in the kingdom of God. And we learned that those blessed people are in fact us as believers in Jesus Christ. When we put those qualities and characteristics into practice, we are blessed. That's what the Beatitudes, that long list of you are blessed when. When we put those things into practice, we become the salt of the earth, Jesus said. The salt of the earth that brings out the God flavors in the world. We bring out the godliness in humanity. When we put those qualities into motion, we learn that we're not only salt, but we're also light. We're the light of the world bringing out what Jesus called the God colors of the world. Bringing out the godliness that is in humanity, the way we were created to be. Bringing out the godliness in the humanity by shining the light of Christ into it. So this morning, we're still on the mount with Jesus. His sermon is proving to be a radical point of view that the people had not heard before. And in this part of his sermon that we're talking about in our gospel lesson this morning, he brings up six things that are discussed in Judaic law. Things that we just love to talk about in church. Anger, adultery, divorce, oaths, promises, vows, retaliation, and loving one's neighbor. And he provides this perspective on them that the world has never seen before. They're used to Judaic law, which says this. And Jesus is talking about these things in a way that expands the thinking of those who are listening. Now, if we talked about all six of those this morning, we'd be here after lunch. And we have an admin meeting So we don't want to do that. So I'm just going to touch on four that are related. How are they related? Well, let's get into it, and I'll bring that to light with the help of the Holy Spirit. See, the first thing he talks about is anger. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar... If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be first reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. 
Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on your way to court. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. See, we're all familiar with the command of the ancients. Thou shalt not kill. Do not murder. Jesus reminds us of that, but he says, I'm I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. If you carelessly call a brother idiot, you just might find yourself hauled into spiritual court. If you thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, Jesus says you're on the brink of hell fire. The simple moral fact that Jesus is talking about here is that words kill. What do they kill? They kill spirit. They kill joy. They kill our ability to witness if they're said in anger with maliciousness. So Jesus says, this is how I want you to conduct yourself. If you enter your place of worship and you're about to make an offering and you suddenly remember that you have a grudge or a friend has a grudge against you, abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. That's difficult, isn't it? When you think about it. Working out our differences with with people is often a stumbling block to prayer, to communion, to being able to come before our God with a, a pure heart. But Jesus says we need to do that before we approach His altar. So Jesus says, if you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you, don't lose a minute. Make the first move. He didn't say take the first swing. He said make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, knowing who this person is, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even jail. If that happens, you won't get out without paying the fine. Be proactive in settling your differences is what he's saying. See, as far as I can see, I think we as a people, as a nation, have let our anger take control of us. Unrighteous anger has gripped this country. Unrighteous anger. anger. It's, it's as if The evil one is using anger to its full advantage. Using it to divide us. Using it to drag as many of us as possible into the pit of hell. 
If Jesus' premise that angry words kill is true, and I'm here to testify this morning that it is indeed true, then we are all of us, all of us, at one point or another, guilty of murder. That's a strong statement, but that's what Jesus is saying here. When was the last time you thought someone was an idiot? Muttered the word stupid under your breath. Could have been someone that cut you off in traffic. Could have been someone who voiced an opinion that was different than yours. Anger, unrighteous anger flows through the streets of this nation right now. Spews out from our radios and our televisions daily. Hateful words that are in fact our weapon of choice these days to kill, steal, and destroy. Who does that sound like? Kill, steal, and destroy. And with every hateful, angry word, we do Satan's work for him. We carry out his mission instead of God's mission. So that's anger. Now he shifts gears. And what a shift it is. Now he's talking about adultery. Pleasant subject for a Sunday morning, but here we go. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. So we all know the commandment. Basically, it says don't go to bed with another person's spouse. But don't think you're preserved by simply staying out of the bed. Don't think you're preserved your virtue by staying out of the action. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. That's what Jesus is saying. So leering looks when you think nobody's looking also corrupt the spirit, the heart. And Jesus says, let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, he says, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful leer. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pile. And you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump, he says, than your entire being discarded for good in the dump. Strong words. See, he's expanding on the commandment concerning adultery to condemning not only the act, but also the lustful thought or desire to commit the act. He's not condemning the temptation of a passing thought, so don't misunderstand. We're all tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. But this unchecked, willful indulging of the thought which often leads to the action if the opportunity presents itself, 
That's what he's condemning. It's not the thought so much as the intent that gets us into trouble. And what's this with the whole gouging out of the eye and the chopping off of the hand? See, what he's saying here is that our eyes and our hands are the primary instruments involved in sexual sin. And so Jesus uses them as illustrations as to how serious this is with regard to our salvation. He's not advocating that we cut off our hand and gouge out our eye. Let's, let me make that really clear. He's not saying that if you see someone attractive and have a tempting thought run through your head that you should immediately gouge your eye out. He's simply saying that as Christians, we need to be aware of the gravity of the sin and this precariously thin ice that we're on when we allow our eyes and our hands to run away with our tempted thoughts. And so that discussion in his Sermon on the Mount leads directly to this conversation about divorce. It was also said, Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Oh, pastor. See, the scripture says, whoever divorces his wife, let him do it legally, giving her divorce papers and her legal rights. Jesus says, too many of you are using that as a cover for selfishness and whim, pretending to be righteous just because you are legal. Please, he says, no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress unless she has already made herself that by sexual promiscuity. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you're automatically an adulterer yourself. You can't use legal cover to mask a moral failure, is what he's saying. See, he, he includes this discussion on divorce after the one on adultery um, because sexual sin and adultery often lead to divorce. In the Old Testament... In the old law, divorce was legislated but not banned. There were different interpretations of the law, even among the Pharisees. And the followers of Hillel believed that a man could divorce his wife for any good cause. That leaves it kind of wide open to interpretation, doesn't it? Any good cause. Honey, you burn the toast. While the followers of Shammai believed that it was limited to adultery only. And understand though that in Jewish law in cases of adultery it was not just permissible to divorce but it was required that you divorce. So what Jesus says here is radical. He says 
he raises the bar quite a bit. He says, I'm not going to condemn you for divorcing in cases of adultery. So you can be at peace with that. But reconciliation through repentance and forgiveness and ongoing accountability are always preferable. They're always difficult too, aren't they? This is a radical teaching. And so from this, he goes into a conversation, and it's the last thing I want to touch on. He talks about oaths, vows, promises. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, or your no be no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. What does that mean? It means simply don't say anything you don't mean. You only make things worse when you lay down a smoke screen of pious talk, he says. Saying I'll pray for you and then never doing it. Saying God be with you and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religiosity. And making your speech sound more religious, what you say becomes less true if you don't mean it. Just say yes and no. Because when you manipulate words to get your own way, that's where we go wrong. See, promises, oaths, covenants are important to God. The vows we say in our marriage ceremony, for example. When we put our left hand on a Bible and we raise our right hand and we take an oath, Jesus advises us not to make oaths, promises, vows frivolously. Don't do them and not recognize the gravity of what you are saying. Breaking a promise, an oath, violating a covenant is serious business to God. It's made even more grave when we involve Him in the process. That's why adultery and divorce are such serious consequences. They have such weight in the kingdom because they involve breaking of the vows, the promises, the covenantal relationship, not just one person to the other, but between us and God. So what's the point of all of these things that he discusses? Anger, adultery, divorce, and oaths. 
What's it all mean? See, Jesus throughout this Sermon on the Mount is telling us that we as Christ followers are called to a higher standard. A greater righteousness. A greater righteousness that not only fulfills the requirements of God's law, but surpasses those requirements into a greater, higher standard of living out that righteousness in Him. How high is the standard? Just exactly how high is the standard for Christians? See, it's no secret that in the world today, people look to Christians through a different set of lenses. Those who agree with us look to us as examples of the standard and for affirmation and for accountability. Those who disagree with us are just hoping that we'll mess up and justify their hatred for all things Christ. But either way, people are looking to us. And they have for more than 2,000 years. So how high is the standard? Well, Jesus says that it's nothing short of perfection. Perfection. Pastor, there aren't any of us perfect. And that's true. Most especially me. If we look at our ability on our own merit to attain perfection, that is true. But that's not the perfection that Jesus requires of us. Thanks be to God. Jesus says, be ye therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. In other words, it's time to grow up, Christians. You are kingdom subjects. You are children of the Most High God. Now go and live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Be perfect because Christ who lives in you is perfect. Let Him shine His perfection into the onlooking world through you. See, we have to be that higher standard of righteousness in the world today. We have to shine light into the darkest places. We have to usher in the kingdom of God. We have to be in radical contrast with the culture of the world so that we can break the cycle of evil action and reaction. We have to be something better than the identity the world wants to impose on us. We have to be bearers of the higher standard. Only made possible by living through Him and in Him. Live the higher standard this week. Be consciously aware that you are living the higher standard this week.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.